0: I've done a number of series since the beginning of the year. Uh, the overall series theme has been spiritual coverings. Um, it's amazing. Everybody talks about spiritual coverings. I know because I hear it at lots of different conferences and lots of ministers talk about it in their churches. But when I ask them what is a spiritual covering, it is amazing how little articulation of of definition there is as to what constitutes a spiritual covering. Nobody seems to know. Well, it's the church you're part of. Well, why is that a spiritual covering? Uh, well, I heard somebody else use the term. I have felt to do this series, and so there are, I've been teaching on eight different kinds of spiritual coverings, and the reason that I'm doing this series again is simply because everything in the kingdom of God operates upon the principle of faith, That is, you don't know that you don't know what you don't know. Or you would know it. (laughs) Right? So what does the Word of God do? The Word of God opens up new vistas, new realms of thought and exploration in our minds and in our hearts. Revelation. That in turn creates faith. For Romans says, faith comes by hearing and that by a word from God. So when you hear something that is taught, that makes you become aware, you become apprised of of things that, that exist and are available to you as a believer, but you've never tapped into those things before because you didn't know they were there. What that then does is inspires faith in your heart to do what I call, for lack of a better term, place a demand upon the anointing. And you begin to pray for those things. And since they are things that were purchased by Christ at Calvary and available to us, you becoming aware of them now enables you to be positioned to receive them. In this series, I've taught um, on the eight different kinds of spiritual coverings. We've actually gone into depth on, on... Uh, seven of them this will be the third week on the seventh and I'll conclude this portion today then I'll move on to ministry coverings which is the eighth and at that point we'll be starting a new series and so we've done this overarching uh, as it were series that has been broken up into a number of mini series and and I'm doing this and I hope that this has been transformative for you I've heard from many of you that it is And I think that it is incredible because uh, when a a spiritual covering experiences a divine shift, that divine shift occurs in the lives of everybody that's under that covering, that um, is aware of what a covering does, because then, as I said, it makes them aware of what is happening in such a way that they can with faith, began to place a demand upon the anointing. And there are all kinds of things happening within our congregation. There has been a seismic shift over CT this year. And talking about the glory dimension or glory coverings, I'm going to tell you up front that I'm stepping into an area that a lot of people do not know anything about. They think the glory of the Lord is just the glory of the Lord. That's a term they've heard. It's kind of like spiritual coverings. It's been around for a long time. But in terms of how does that apply to me and how it becomes practical in my life, um, my experience has been that there are not all that many believers that that understand this. And the reason is, is it's not been taught back to the original thing I said. You don't know what you don't know that you don't know. And so you need to hear a word from God because that in turn inspires your faith. Your faith then positions you to receive. In Numbers 14, I read last week, then the Lord said to Moses, I have pardoned, meaning Israel, according to your word, but truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Habakkuk 2.14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I pointed out last Sunday that the word Knowledge, the Hebrew word, means to to know, to discern, to perceive or recognize, to deduce. It's a process of deduction. Uh, The glory of the Lord will become so evident that anybody, it doesn't say that it will be the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will be apparent to believers. It says it will cover the earth as the waters do the sea, meaning that everybody will look at it and say, wow, that's the glory of God. I want to turn to another passage right now and I'll read this and then I'm going to leave it until I near the end of the message today and I'll pick it up again. And I go to this text in my preaching, but in Matthew 17:1 through five, now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased here him. And so let's talk about part three of coverings of glory today. Father, I ask right now that you would do what there is no way in this world that I'm capable of doing. And that is open this subject up to us in a way that is compelling and convincing to every person that is here. I can't do this, Lord, but you can take your word and you can deliver it in such a way and make our hearts receptive to such a degree that your word becomes persuasive and we become convinced and that we accept your word and that we begin to incorporate its teachings into our daily lives. I can't do that, I'm I'm not capable of doing that. No matter how skillful or persuasive a person can be, we can't bring heart transformation We can't cause these principles to become rooted and grounded in people's hearts, but you can. So I ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. To the degree that a spiritual covering has experienced God's glory, whatever that may be, God's glory. We'll define it shortly, talk about it. To that same measure, that covering also becomes a covering of glory to those that are under it. The qualifying factor, though, is to the measure it has personally experienced the glory of God. It is now able to be that to others. That's because of the first law of spiritual importation that states you can only give what you have. You cannot give what you do not have. It's such as I have give I unto thee, not such as I wish to give to you or wish to even have. There's so much we don't know about the glory of the Lord. Um, I, a couple of weeks ago, gave you the definition of the terms. It is the kabod or the doxa in the Greek, kabod in Hebrew, meaning the weightiness or the significance of God. Those two terms alone are not enough to describe what I'm talking about. I I, I use terms that, that might be more acceptable here than they would out on the street to people that are... Driving by who wouldn't relate to this at all, but if I say to you when God shows up in his glory Then things happen you can somehow Relate to that in some measure people who don't go to church would not relate to that at all What is tragic is that? uh, there has been a dearth of understanding in the church in modern America as to what the glory of the Lord is. Um, we don't know much about it. And I'm trying to teach from a subject that a lot of people are going to find alien and foreign to them. And uh, we are a little bit ignorant. More so, I am convinced, and many other nations are right now in this particular subject. Though America has been Christian much longer than many other nations, say in South America, Africa, or in Asia. Yet those countries probably are better able to articulate what an understanding of the glory of the Lord is than we are here. There are a number of reasons for that. Churches in America have found it, um, they felt like, to be helpful to become politically correct, to become acceptable to society. We have all watched people when talking about this subject they get so far out on the edge they fall over the cliff and we've heard all of the, the fun that has been made of people like that and uh, the ridicule that has been hurled in their direction and we don't want that. Um, we value being accepted and we want people to value us. And so we have basically been in this nation intimidated when it comes to the subject of the glory of the Lord. We've been intimidated into being quiet. And uh, we don't want to be perceived as wild-eyed, frothing at the mouth, radical uh, whoever, uh, believers. Uh, the, the David Koresh's and all of the others that have come in the past have made us tilt far away in the opposite direction from anything that that might be considered to be Um, unscriptural. And in some ways that's a good thing but in other ways it's not a good thing. I say it's good because we want to make sure that we search out the biblical foundations of what we believe. But on the other hand, um, many people form their experience or rather their theology forgive me, they form their theology on the basis of their lack of experience. Because People have not seen someone healed; they then begin to believe that God doesn't heal. Am I making any sense right now? Because someone's never had a vision, they begin to doubt the authenticity and the validity of visions. And when somebody says God told me something, if God never told this person anything, they like, oh yeah, I'll get the guys with the white coats, amen. And um, you know, they they begin to find flaw and fault with some of these teachings. And, and the skepticism hits you full in the face and makes you begin to back up because you want to be accepted. And it's kind of like the teacher who wanted to make a point to her class. Uh, she wanted to build their self-esteem and she wanted to indicate or help them understand that we're all important and we all matter no matter what we've been through. So she asked her class, how many of you don't think you're very bright and you feel like you're dumb? And she intended to then teach them that we all have enormous potential for a great future because in every classroom there are kids that have come from a broken, divided background and their self-esteem has been damaged. To her surprise, actually, though, no one stood up. And then suddenly little Johnny stood by himself and looked at her. And the teacher said, Johnny, do you really think you're dumb? And little Johnny answered, no, I don't, teacher. And she asked, then why did you stand? He said, I stood because I felt sorry for you standing up there being the only dumb one in the class. Amen. <laughs> it's amazing how dumb we are in certain areas that have to do with faith. I don't mean that to be insulting. Entire theologies have been developed. There are people in this city, in this nation that are radically opposed, for example, to the concept that God would heal anyone. They believe all of that's over. There's an entire branch of theology called the cessationist movement that doesn't believe God speaks today, God doesn't heal today, God doesn't act today. Uh, There are others that don't believe in this experience of glossolalia that is speaking with tongues. I just yesterday viewed a study that had been done by the University of Pennsylvania, a secular study that actually appeared on ABC News Nightline on speaking in tongues that said that they actually have proven that something is really going on when a person speaks with tongues. It's not just gibberish like you've heard it said if you attended some churches. Amen. And they actually have... As a result of the MRIs that they took when people were experiencing this, they had people become subjects and people go into prayer and let them take MRIs while they were in the the depths of these ecstatic experiences. They have found out certain areas of the brain become lit up. There is something going on there. And even science acknowledges that there's something really happening. Well, I already know that because I've seen people receive the Holy Spirit speaking in fluent English that have never heard English before in some of the foreign countries that I've ministered in. But to someone who's never seen that, (laughs) that's, you know, witchcraft. There are some churches even teach things like that's demonic. I know one well-known pastor in this nation who, if I were to call his name, he's regularly on TV and the radio and has huge conferences and he's violently opposed to this. And you know what he's doing? Like many people, and I pray that we don't do this, he's basing his theology on his lack of experience. Don't base your theology on either your experience or your lack of experience. Base it on the Word of God and let it inform your experience. Can I hear somebody in the building say amen? Amen. Let the Word of God inform your experience, meaning that if it has happened and there's scriptural validation for it, you're on safe ground. If it hasn't happened but you read it in scripture, don't let anybody talk you out of it. Amen. Last week, I mentioned several things that a covering of glory does for those who are under it, and this is important because in a nation that hasn't seen a demonstration of the glory of God in a number of decades, we need to understand why this is important to us other nations are experiencing it as I I will show you in a moment. So I'm going to review these seven things quickly. The first thing it does is what it causes to happen in you. That is, it changes your perspective. When you see God in his glory, trust me when I tell you nothing else looks big after that. Amen. No matter how big the problem looked, it shrinks in size once you see God elevated in his glory. Number two, it causes you to experience spiritual immunity. I talked about that last week. If you dwell in the secret place of the most high under the shadow of the almighty, a thousand will fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand. It will not come near you. Amen. Number three, it changes and accelerates your season. When God shows up, he can change winter into spring just like that. Amen. You may be 15 years away from your harvest season rolling in, but if God's glory shows up in your life, it's harvest starting right now. Amen. And number four, it causes a suspension of the normal laws that would ordinarily apply. That is, the way things work, suddenly there's a change, and it doesn't work like that anymore. The things that meant you couldn't, suddenly don't stop you. Tell somebody it changes the rules. Would you do that? Amen. So many places in Scripture really are demonstrating that the rules changed. The rules changed, waters parting in the Red Sea, all that kind of stuff. That's not what happens in nature, but when God shows up, he can suspend the laws of nature, amen. Number five, it causes the release of of an understanding of divine strategies. Anybody here ever encounter a situation where you did not know what to do next? And you needed God to come down and the Holy Spirit to give you a divine overload of heavenly wisdom. And in a moment of time, God cuts through all of the red tape, the bureaucratic mess, all the reasons why it can't happen, and you see a way right through it. Amen. Number six, not only does the glory, a covering of glory, affect you, it also has a pronounced effect on the enemy, and that it causes the enemy to become confounded and to lose heart. One thing that'll make the devil tongue tied is when God shows up. Amen. One thing that'll make the devil not know which way is up or which way is down is let God step into the middle of your situation. And then number seven, and it's this one I want to focus on today, not only does a covering of glory radically affect your life and devastate the enemy, it also has a huge impact on the world in a way that causes them to see and to glorify God. When your God is small, the, the, the world doesn't give God much credit. But when God is big in your life, everybody's looking, saying, man, yeah, their God's something. My God's not very big. I wish I had a God like their God. God has always throughout his relationship with mankind sought to do things for the people who serve him that the rest of the world would look at those that serve God and say, wow, I wish I could walk in some of that. I wish I had a God that was like, joe's god or sue's god amen and the way god does this is the glory of the lord changes the world's perspective toward god and that it causes them to see god in his beauty you see religion is always ugly it's always about rules and always about what you can and can't do, and it's always about the nature of man, and, and you see people that are egotistical and trying to tell others, you know, uh, like the old saying, I say frog, and that means you jump, and the only question you ask is how high. You see, all these religious leaders and people get involved, and religion actually becomes, as it were, a means to facilitate their broken humanity. They're wounded egos. That's ugly. And so many people have seen the ugly side of religion. But there's a side of this that is beautiful. If you were to see the tabernacle in the wilderness, it was covered with ugly badger skins. I mean just just covered over with, with things that were drab and dull. But if you ever got on the inside, the deeper you got into this thing, the more gold there was. You went from brass at the outside to brass and gold, and, and finally it was everything was gold. The deeper you get in this, the more beautiful it becomes. From the outside, it's not very pretty. Amen. And this is why without God's glory being present, the church has no attractiveness to people that are on the outside. A church that has lost the measure of the glory of God is not a church that's going to change anybody's life. People may gravitate to it because they need just an encouraging word, that uh, they need somebody to inspire them. But in terms of life transformation, it will not be taking place. Or they may gravitate to it because they need a place to connect. But there are other reasons we ought to go to church. Amen. And my point is simply this. Whenever you're under a covering of glory, God beautifies your life and everything about you when his glory touches you, amen. When you're touched by the glory of God, it causes you to become attractive in a way that others are drawn to you. Psalms 149 verse 4. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. Amen. When God begins to work out the junk in your life and the dysfunction in your life, you can be standing at the counter of a grocery store and somebody will walk up and say, man, there's something different about you. God beautifies the the humble with salvation. And in Isaiah 60 and 13, he says, "I will beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will cause the place of my, I will make the place of my feet be glorious. A church without the glory of the presence of God is not attractive. That's why so many people in this nation don't want to go to church. Amen, but if you ever see God show up. In church, I want you to know all of a sudden church starts looking good. Amen. God's glory makes it become attractive. Some call that favor. Others call it an open heaven. This is what set Esther apart. From all of the other women who were so alluring and beautiful when King Ahasuerus sought a new queen to replace Vashti. Amen. Amen. You will remember he went throughout. They were sent throughout all of the provinces of Babylon to bring the most drop dead gorgeous, beautiful women in the province there, and they all came with their mascara and their Maybelline and and you know what I'm talking about, wearing their Gucci and their Prada. And their makeup and and all of that. But Esther walked in the room. The king forgot about every one of them because she had something the others didn't have. There's a dimension beyond Maybelline. I don't know what ladies wear these days, but whatever the current... Amen. You, you hear me. And um, and my point is simply this. God makes made Esther beautiful and he set her apart. The glory of God will cause your boss to promote you when nobody else gets a promotion. The glory of God will cause your professor to favor you when everybody else is doing poorly in the class. The glory of God will cause your wife or your husband to value you and your neighbor neighbors to respect you and your children to grow up showing you honor because when God's glory touches your life it makes you attractive amen somebody in the building say amen hallelujah Hallelujah. This church has been touched by a measure of the glory of the Lord. Most of you do not know what I'm talking about. If you've never read Tommy Tenney's book, I would just ask you to to buy it, read it, download it on your iPad, or maybe we even might have copies out there. You won't find the church mentioned by name because I wouldn't let him mention this church. But the church he talks about in that book that had a visitation of God was this church. And I don't have time to go into all the reasons why and what happened leading up to that. But on a Sunday morning, when at that time, we only had two services. One of them started, I think, at 8.30 and the other at 11. We had a Sunday school hour that started at 10.00 uh, in between the two services, but in the 8 30 service, God showed up. And that sleepy service, when the Lord walked into this building, something profound happened. I mean, in a matter of a few minutes, we had 67 major miracles occur during the well, not just in that service, but in the second one and throughout the day. I'm talking about cancers falling off. We had a lady that was going to have surgery for a melanoma on her arm, one of the most dangerous kind of cancers that there is. She was scheduled for surgery that week when the glory of the Lord walked into this room, it burst, bled a drop or two and dried up, shriveled up on her arm and fell off on the floor. And you say, man, that must have been some prayer somebody prayed when he laid hands on her. That's the point. Nobody laid hands on anybody. We had seven people healed of cancer, three profoundly deaf people. By profoundly deaf, I mean they couldn't hear a thing be healed. A blind lady had her blind eye open as the pre- as Tommy was going to pray for her. She began to shout, I can see, I can see, I can see. It was the most amazing thing, that service that should have ended at 10 o'clock for the Sunday school hour to begin did not end until 1.30 in the morning on Monday. And people started driving by in front of the church. I'm not talking about late for church or backsliders or, you know, the, there's always a crowd. I mean, I finished the other service over there at 10, 15 service. I finish it at 12 and I, I take the cart and come across the parking lot and come in here and you finish the worship and it's time for me to speak. We have four services on Sunday morning, so I jump from platform to platform and I always see folk that are coming in at 12 o'clock. And, and I, I I wonder you know sometimes does it really take you till noon to get ready to come to church? <laughs> and, and of course I'm preaching to the choir because you don't attend that service. But but I always laugh when I'm on the court. I see people and they see me coming. They they look the other way. You know, like start talking to their kids or their wife. Like don't look over that direction. There's faster. He's going because they're embarrassed to be coming in late. And, you know, I'm not talking about backsliders. Suddenly cars started pouring into the parking lot. People left their car doors open, the motor running, running into this building, falling on their faces, crying out to God, and receiving the Holy Spirit right there in the lobby. And when people asked them later, what happened? They said, we were driving by and we saw angels standing all over the property. That's not anything you can have a program that will produce. I mean, you're not going to sing a good enough song or preach a good enough sermon to make that happen. One service we baptized for two hours as fast as one person could pull a wet robe off and put it on another. They didn't care if we ran out of robes, they just wanted to get baptized. We saw miracle after miracle happen. I was sitting right there where Pastor Irvin is sitting, and I had a genetic anomaly I was born with in my heart that I I didn't know anything about. It was in the major uh, artery, the one that they call the Widowmaker. That's the lower descending coronary artery. And um, it just it began to collapse, and I ex- began to experience ventricular tachycardia. I had about 50 episodes that were timed at 70 seconds, and usually 20 seconds you hit the ground, 40 seconds you're gone. They can't re- revive you. Mine were time lasting 70 seconds. God kept me alive. I had had that corrected. And I was sitting over there, and the the, the cardiologist told me, as long as you live, you really should wear uh, a bracelet on your arm or around your neck, a medical alert bracelet, because if you get in an accident and get knocked unconscious, someone may give you an EKG to see how you're doing. If they see this, they're gonna start treating things that are not really going on and it could be dangerous. And in my case, (laughs) if you get in an accident, it was a very realistic possibility because I've been rear-ended nine times, amen. And so I've never worn the, the bracelet or the necklace, but my cardiologist who is from Iran and a Muslim, he cautioned me, I was sitting right over there. It was that week that I was supposed to go and have my annual checkup. And I went and had the, it's called a Sestami treadmill test. It's a radioactive dye they inject into your veins. And then they study your heart and its movement under stress and And uh, I went in for the reading. On a Monday night, though, before the test, I was sitting there, and the Lord walked in that meeting. We couldn't have church for 13 weeks. 13 weeks to the day I didn't preach. 13 weeks to the day the choir couldn't sing. 13 weeks to the day we couldn't have Sunday school. We couldn't have anything. The glory of the Lord filled this place. Some of you are going to think I'm making this up, but there was a perfume that filled this building that was out of this world. And people used to think we walked around spraying a cologne or something. That was not it. God just stepped into this place. And as I was sitting there, the Lord appeared to me and walked up and said, he pulled back the edge of his robe and said, son, give me your hand. And I I stretched out my hand and he took it and he placed it in the wounds in his back where the whips had flailed the flesh and the skin away. And I could feel the ridges in his flesh. And he said, looked at me and said, I'm putting healing in your hands. Amen. And. I thought, I thought all of that took about 15 minutes I was actually in the presence of the Lord for three and a half hours I somehow had stepped across the line and was straddling the line between time and eternity and I'm telling you there there were unbelievable things that occurred when I went to the doctor as I mentioned who is Muslim that end of the week and, and it was the next day in fact I had the test and and he read the test to me a couple of days later, he looked at it and he said, huh? And he said, "Uh," I said, what's the matter? And he said, you remember I told you that you'd have this anomaly as long as you lived? He said, I don't understand it. It's not there anymore. And there were things like that that happened. I never understood why it occurred 13 weeks to the day until a prophet friend of mine that I met in South Africa who actually is from the state of Michigan, he came and visited with us and then he stood and gave a word and he said, thus says the Lord. Some say 13 weeks, but I the Lord say 91 days for 13 weeks is 91 days. Amen. If you do the math, seven times 13, 91, right? And he went on to say, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him will I trust. We literally lived in the secret place for 13 weeks as a church. I stayed there for six months, and there are people that argue because, again, I'm using terminology for which there is not really adequate vernacular or vocabulary to describe what occurred. Someone has said, but yeah, you're in the presence of God 24 hours a day, seven days a week, because one of the attributes of God is he's omnipresent. So that means there's never a time you're out of the presence of God. I know all of that. Please bear with me, but there is a dimension beyond just the presence of God that is always there—the omnipresence of God. There is a place in the manifest presence of God, and you you say, Man manifest that's what I'm talking about we don't have a vocabulary to articulate some of this and and so if you've never experienced you're saying oh boy that sounds really strange and and I don't know if I can ride with this but all I can say is baby if it ever happens to you If you ever experience it, you can be like that man Jesus healed that was blind when they came and said, how is it that you that were born blind can now see? He said, I don't know. All I know is once I was blind and now I can see. And if God ever shows up, you might not be able to give the definition for what happened, but you know something took place. Amen. 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 And it profoundly impacted us. It was after that that we began the missions programs where we have trained thousands of pastors overseas. Uh, It's not just something that happened here. It's happening in other places more regularly, much more regularly than it is in the United States. There's one of the largest revivals in the world occurring in China. I received so much feedback last week from the videos I showed of uh, what was occurring in in Egypt, in the Arab world. And also uh, the the song uh, three million people sang in different languages in Krakow, Poland, The move of God that's happening elsewhere is incredible. We in America, with our politically correct PC posture, don't think badly of me. Let me not get too serious about this because you're going to think I'm a wild-eyed radical frothing at the mouth, and I don't want that, right? So let's just keep everything very basic. Other parts of the world, they're experiencing the glory of God. Just because American Christians don't have much passion doesn't mean that other Christians elsewhere do not. One of the largest revivals in the world is going on in China and the government is scared to talk about it. To begin with, they don't even know how many scores of millions and maybe hundreds of millions have been baptized with the Holy Spirit in China. Here's just one brief video that I've taken a few excerpts from.
1: Few places in the world are seeing the explosion of God's power like the underground church in China is experiencing. And in the last 60 years, China's communist government has done its best to wipe Christianity off the map. What you are about to see is some of the rarest footage on the planet.
0: I want you to notice the fervor.
1: In this church, The people wake up at 4.30 to come together for two hours to pray and worship. They do this every day. This church meets in the only place they are safe, a cave. This church meets on a farm, far away from prying eyes. Here's an example of an underground church outreach. The people sitting are Christians. The people who are standing are not. This particular preacher was once crippled, but was healed when someone prayed for her. She now preaches the good news of Jesus to anyone who will listen. In this particular meeting over 1,000 people became Christians. Here Christians cast out demons from an 18-year-old girl. She's now a preacher. That most of the underground churches in China are actually led by young people. These kids have all come out of the communist system, and they want nothing to do with it. They only want to spread the love of Jesus to everybody they meet. This is a music school. Well, that's the cover anyway. It's really a training school for students who want to be pastors. The government thinks they're simply learning to play instruments. One thing I quickly realized about the Chinese church is that it's a lot different from the American one. For one thing, they think a four-hour sermon is short. In this church service, it's 120 degrees inside the building. The people meet for 12 hours straight.
0: That's what's going on in China. While here in America, we're comfortable with 45-minute church services. Let me ask you, is there any correlation between the hunger and passion you see there and the absence of it here and the glory of God being present there but not being present here? You might not know, but right now the number one best-selling book in China is the Forbidden Bible. The forbidden Bible that has been outlawed by the Chinese government is selling more copies underground than any other book that has ever been published. And then there's huge revival that is breaking out. Oh, you're not hearing any of this that I'm talking about on CNN, are you? or MSNBC or Fox or ABC, no, they're not going to tell you. They're going to scare you to death with stories of terrorism and problems and and North Korea and the problems we're all facing and and all of this stuff. It bombards your home daily. But what you might not know is there's huge revival in Muslim nations as well. The largest Muslim nation in the world is Indonesia. It has a population of 260 million, Only a little less than the United States, which has 330 million. And and in Indonesia, it is now estimated 30% of Indonesians in just the last several years have become born again spirit-filled Christians. Because they're not going to dead churches. They're going to churches that have a measure of the glory of God, where people are sincere about their faith. Watch this video, for example.
2: In the last five years, Indonesia has been experiencing a surge in Christianity. Churches here say that 30% of this Muslim country is now Christian. Much of the growth in Christianity in this country comes from the Pentecostal churches. The pastors testify that more and more people, including Buddhists and Muslims, are attracted to attend the Christian services. Pastor Billy Jotoraharjo has seen tremendous growth in his church. The congregation has increased from 400 to more than 6,000 members in just four years.
0: We always pray open heaven. God, we pray open heaven. God touched people, even in outside, they got healed. Outside, they got saved.
2: Eddie De La Rosa is a former Buddhist. His wife, Sophie, is a former Muslim. Both experienced the power of the Holy Spirit at Pastor Billy's church. Eddie had pancreatic cancer that had spread to his liver. He was given only six months to live. Every day,
1: I'm waiting for that. One day, my friend Christian, she told me, try my Jesus. I said to Jesus, give me a chance. I will serve him. Give me one more chance.
2: Today, after six years, Eddie is well and regularly attends this Christian church.
1: I believe I'm healed with my faith. Jesus is my healer jesus is my savior jesus is my my lord my master
0: everything miracles are happening but did you notice what the pastor said we pray for an open heaven we pray for favor those are code words for the glory of god We want that dimension that is beyond just ordinary Christian experience, amen, or just being saved. You see, part of the problem in America is we have developed a Christianity that is Christian in name, but not the other six days out of the week. Revival is erupting in the Middle East, in Iran, for example, One of our arc rivals right now, most Americans would feel that Iran is one of the biggest threats to American freedom and biggest dangers to world peace that we have. But did you know there's huge revival that is breaking out in the underground church in Russia, and rather in Iran. Many of these Muslim countries, the Bible is outlawed. They've been collected. They've been burned. Christians have been beaten. They've been persecuted, thrown into prison. Some of them have been killed. There was a former that got saved. True story. Andrew just came back from Kansas City. He had to go there to visit one of our members that was in need of assistance. And and he went up and uh, visited with the young man. And uh, while he was there, he also had an appointment to see one of his friends with YWAM, Youth with a Mission, that he's known for some time. And as they sat at lunch together, the young man with YWAM shared with him one of the latest stories out of Iran. This old former got saved no bibles they hunger for the word of god you saw what they were doing in china services that last 12 last 12 hours and 120 degree heat most of us we complain if the preacher goes over or if they sing one extra song in the course of a service hello i'm talking right now amen can i am i in the right place check this microphone make sure it's working testing one two three amen because we have our ideas of what church is supposed to consist of. In our lack of experience, we have defined a theology that maybe is not really biblical. Because there's only one place you can be if you're really going to serve God. And that's passionate and on fire for the Lord. God wants you to serve him with your whole heart. And this this whole former They begin to have a dream all across the Middle East. Marcella's here, she can tell you. There are entire villages that are being converted by a visitation from God. They've never heard a sermon. But everybody in the village has the same dream, the same night. They call him the man in white. The man in white comes to them in their dream and says, I am Isa, the one you're looking for. Isa is the Arabic pronunciation for Jesus. Serve me. And they wake up the next morning and somebody says, man, I had a strange dream last night. And the other family member says, I did too. And the neighbor said, I did too. Well, what did you dream? After you tell me yours, I'll tell you mine. And and they all had the same dream. Whole villages are being converted overnight because of a divine visitation of almighty God this one former Hungering to know more about God. Hungering for the word. Isa came to Jesus came to him in a dream. And said write what I am going to tell you. And the man wrote. And he kept writing. Night after night he would have the, a dream. Isa would come and say write. Write what I am telling you. And night after night he would get up and write what God had told him. Jesus had spoken to him. And an underground evangelist from the underground church. Came and preached in his area and he took these pieces of paper that he had written on and brought them to them and told the evangelist about his dream that had occurred for months. And the evangelist said, could I see the papers? And he said, yes. And the evangelist looked at them and his jaw fell open because they don't have a Bible. But as he began to read what Jesus had dictated to the man, he read in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And the entire gospel of John was what this man had written out by divine revelation of God. They had the gospel of John. When God begins to show up, you don't know what might happen in an area. God can do so many things that we could never do and go in places we can't get to, minister to people we can't see. One of these Arab men said, Jesus, Isa came and put his hand on his chest just like this and said, I am Isa, I am your Lord. And the man to this day, now you're gonna say, I don't believe in stuff like that. that that's fine. You don't have to. You don't have to. Not asking you to. I just want to tell you what they're saying right now. To this day, this man has the mark. The hair of his chest, on his chest, is all black except where the hand touched him. And it's white. And there's the outline of a white handprint. Now you say, that's too heavy. Get out of the boat and swim. Amen. That's fine. You don't have to ride with me on that. What I'm trying to say is when God begins to move as people pray, you don't know what might happen when God walks into a village. When Jesus shows up in a Muslim town. He can walk into their dream. I can never get in their dream. I can never even get to their village to preach. The passion that is there is incredible. And people are laying their lives down for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm about to close. But as I do, Peter, James, and John were privileged to see something that very few people have ever seen. The other disciples didn't even get to see it. They saw Jesus transfigured before their eyes. His garment became shining as white as the sun and suddenly Moses and Elijah, two of the prophets of the Old Testament that were well acquainted with the glory of God appeared and they were talking with Jesus and then Peter who wants to stay there and doesn't want to leave makes the statement, Lord, can we build three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elias? In other words, we'll just stay here and bask in this and and revel in it and live in it. And Jesus says, no, that's not, that's not what we need to do. The Father speaks from heaven and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And he goes on to talk, hear him. And we read the story that Peter and James and John go down the mountain with Jesus. Now, here's the point I want to make. You see, this has happened to some of us. Some of us have had an encounter with God. Some of us have been in that dimension. Some of us have had an experience with God. That's in the DNA of this church because of what God did those years ago some of us we don't need to be asked to pray we don't need to be asked to to get up and come to church in the morning we're like David we're glad when they said unto us let us go into the house of the Lord we want to go to God's house it's not a problem to get up and get to church anymore It's not a problem to set your clock early and get up and read your Bible because something has touched our heart. It's awakened within us, a divine passion and a hunger for God that we don't want to live without. But what I want you to know is you can't stay on the mountaintop the rest of your life. We would like to, Peter was like, moses in that regard moses stayed 40 days and 40 nights in the divine presence of god until finally god had to tell him moses get down from the mountain why because down at the bottom of the mountain there are people who are broken and a world that needs the help of god you can't fix that while you're on the mountain moses While you're in the mountain, God gave you something. He gave you his divine law, the principles of life that can restructure a broken world. God knows we've tried the laws of men. That hasn't worked. God knows we've tried this political party and that, and this one's idea and that one's great scheme. But has it made the world a better place? No. I continue to marvel at people that believe there's a political solution to the problems of a world that's really dealing with sin, Men can't fix that, only God can. I said, only God can. And we get all upset because this candidate didn't win or that one did like it's really going to be a substitute for what only God can do. What we need in America is a visitation of almighty God. We need God to show up once again. Peter, James, and John come down from the mountain, and the first thing they encounter is a father with a son that's possessed of a demonic spirit. It's almost like Satan was there to say, okay, you had your mountaintop experience. Let's see if it does any good in the real world. This is the real world. This is where I rule, Peter. You can go have your little prayer meeting and see your visions, but down here is where I am in charge. This is where brokenness lives. This is where evil thrives. This is where hunger exists. And your mountaintop experience will not work here. And it, you know, the devil would have been right but for one thing. That is that when they came down from the mountain, they brought Jesus with them. We need to bring Jesus with us into our world. What the enemy is really trying to do is dichotomize the Christian experience and let your Sunday thing be your Sunday thing. But on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, that's real life. And somehow in our minds, we leave the Sunday services still filled with the afterglow of the Holy Spirit. And we get slapped in the face with a man who has a son that's a demoniac on Sunday, on Monday morning. And the enemy says, see, it doesn't work here but I beg to differ with you if we take the Jesus we had on Sunday with us down the mountain on Monday something can happen in the world that we are sent to reach or <laughs> well, somebody in the building say amen. amen the enemy wants to dichotomize your Christian life and to me that has been the major flaw of the American Christian Church we're one thing in church on Sunday we're christians on sunday and the rest of the week we lived our divided segmented lives and then we'll go back to church on sunday to get another top up as it were fill up the tank again and go back monday morning and caught in this grind of traffic on these these horrific houston freeways and deal with problems with a boss or a co-worker on monday and you know what I'm talking about, a bad diagnosis on Wednesday afternoon at the doctor's office and a certified letter from an attorney on Friday telling us how he's threatening us and, and all of this stuff going on. And what the devil wants you to believe is thats that... Is that The Christ thing, the God thing, that's for Sunday. The rest of it, you gotta live it out yourself. I beg to differ with you because what you need in your life is a real demonstration of the power of God that doesn't end on Sunday, but it shows up on Monday and on Tuesday and you keep it alive on Wednesday and it's still there on Thursday and on Friday, God still reigns and on Saturday, he is still supreme. Would you stand with me, please? And I'm done. You see what the enemy wants you to believe is what the Syrians thought in 1 Kings 20 and 23. Israel defeated them on the hills, And so these, this is what the advisors told the king of Syria regarding Israel. They went to their king and said, there's a reason we lost, Mr. King. We lost because their gods are the gods of the hills." Therefore they were stronger than we but if we fight against them in the plain, Surely we will be stronger than they The enemy wants you to believe that your God is a Sunday God When he's really a Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday and Friday and Saturday God as well He'll show up in your office. Hello, somebody he'll show up in your office did you hear what i said he'll show up when you got that pipe in your hand that wrench in the other he'll show up in a control tower Jarell. god will show up right where you're at he'll show up in your law office he'll show up in your doctor's office he'll show up in the middle of your business deal god wants to be god in your life